Well, greetings and happy Sabbath, brethren. Welcome to another Sabbath service streamed from CGI Burlington. And just looking at the cgi.churchonline.org site, uh, Becca, greetings, happy Sabbath to you and to everybody. Pastor Murray, Zilla, Lampals, and RJ, thanks for your comments. See who else is logged in here. Andrew, Carolyn, Eric, Eva, Ozarks, RJ, AG, Sabbath Keeper, SW, all logged in. Thank you so much for joining us. And for all those who are not logged in but uh, waiting for the service to begin, greetings, happy Sabbath. Happy Sabbath to all of you on Facebook and Roku and the other YouTube, other places where you might be joining us. Looking forward to the service today. you can confirm that uh, you hear my voice in the piano. Brother Dylan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us, everybody. It's just about uh, 2.29 Eastern Time. We'll begin service today at 2.30 Eastern Time in just about a minute.
Good Sabbath afternoon, everyone. Welcome to another beautiful Sabbath day here. What a privilege and an honor it is to be able to keep God's Sabbath. And while, again, we remain in this part of the world here in southern Ontario, locked down and unable to meet together, we are certainly blessed to be able to gather together and worship God on his holy Sabbath day. Today is the 26th day of the fourth month. Time certainly uh, flies when we begin the God's holy calendar at, uh, just before Passover. We are just a little over two months from the Feast of Trumpets. That will take place in 63 days. And uh, certainly a, a huge welcome to anyone who's with us for the first time. Certainly happy to have you here with us. And for those of you who are uh, from overseas, I know we do get folks from England, Jamaica and the United States joining us. It's really a pleasure to be able to worship together here on God's Sabbath day. So as we begin this service, I'll call on our deacon and our brother uh, Jan Kowalczyk to bring us the opening prayer. <coughs> Good afternoon, brethren. Just please bow your heads. A loving and great father, we so thankful, Father, that you brought us to another week and thank you, Father, that we could just observe, we could celebrate and observe another Sabbath day. And thank you, Father, that you have protected us through this coronavirus to another week, Father, and also that you, Father, protect us from all this heat that is happening right here and right now, Father. We thank you also above all of these things that you have protected, that you have shielded our minds from all, all this nonsense that is happening everywhere around us, in the media, in the political arena, social arena, and also the religious, religious arena, Father, and as we come together on this Sabbath day, Father, we ask for a special blessings upon the speaker who will deliver a message to us. And Father, we also ask that you'll be with all of us, our listeners, that will not just hear the words that will be spoken to us here today, Father, but help us to absorb it and to live by it. By every single word, just as our, just as our, just as our Lord and Savior Christ lived by, Father. We also, Father, pray today on the Sabbath day that you will take care of all the technological aspects that is so helpful in this difficult time, Father, just to connect, to be together as the global community. Father, that we'll be able to sustain it, all these connections, internet connections, and everything through this, through the time of this services today coming here from Wellington, Father. So thank you one more time, Father, for everything, for all the blessings, Father, into your hands. We turn this service to you. Father, in Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, uh, Brother Jan, for that opening prayer. We'll now go to our first hymn of the afternoon. It'll be from page three in our hymn book. The words will be uh, broadcast on your screen for all hail the power of Jesus' name.
time, we're going to have the script reading. It'll be from John 7, verses 14 to 24. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak it of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeking his own glory, be he that seeketh his glory that sent him. The same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why do you go about to kill me? And the people answered and said, Thou hast a devil who goeth about to kill thee. Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and ye all marvel. Moses, therefore, gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of his, of his fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken. And ye are angry at me, because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Amen. Thank you, Landon. We will now proceed with some announcements. Uh, just a few announcements uh, for this uh, Sabbath day. The Wednesday study uh, that we are in the book of Judges will take place again this coming Wednesday on this very network, cgi.churchonline.org. We will pick up the account in Judges chapter 15 this uh, coming Wednesday evening at 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central Time. The Infuse Study and Interactive Discussion that you've heard uh, being announced in previous weeks will take place next Friday evening, next Friday evening, the 24th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. It will be on the Zoom network. This has been uh, and will be continued to be uh, promoted. The link to the Zoom you will see on the various uh, platforms and on the news of the work and, uh, and from your local congregational announcements as well. And the topic will be navigating this world in 2020. And that will be an interactive discussion led by elders Jeff Reed, Michael James, and myself. So we're looking forward to as many of our infused age folks, uh, young adults, married and single, between the ages of 1830 to join us for what we hope to be a very profitable discussion. And just a prayer request for you to be to uh, keep the festival coordinators and those making the decisions on this year's Feast of Tabernacles in your prayers they continue to meet and discuss and with an aim towards a final decision on all the individual feast sites by the end of the month, the beginning of August. So uh, please keep uh, those folks in your prayers. It certainly is an unprecedented time and uh, none more so than uh, attempting for us to be able to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. That is the sum total of the announcements here for us uh, this afternoon. We will have one more hymn uh, before we head into the main message. The main message of the day will be brought to us by our brother and uh, our pastors here in the Burlington area, Pastor Adrian Davis, the uh, gentleman who's behind all of the technical, uh, uh, bringing all the technical aspects together. So we've been able to meet together on a, on a weekly basis. We're certainly very grateful for that. He'll be bringing us the sermon today entitled, This is Not My Doctrine. This is Not My Doctrine by Pastor Adrian Davis. He will uh, begin that sermon immediately following the next hymn, which will be from page 22 in our hymn books. And that will be, again, broadcast on your screen. The words will be, and that will be Blessed Assurance, and then followed by the sermon by Pastor Davis.
Well, greetings, brethren, and thank you, Pastor Murray. Uh, Brethren, we have a very big problem in the Church of God today. It's a massive problem with far-reaching consequences. In a simple statement, it's this. We believe that doctrine is knowledge about truth. We believe that doctrine is knowledge about truth. This is disastrous for us. This understanding of doctrine is disastrous for us on at least two levels. On level one, knowledge puffs up. The more knowledge we gain, the more we are at risk of becoming arrogant and self-satisfied with our knowledge. And number two, we are living in a time when good conduct is under attack. Society is losing its ability to reason and to debate. Instead, we're seeing mob mentality and emotional outbursts take over. Without a good understanding of doctrine, what we see in the society around us is actually creeping into God's church. How do we know that this really is a problem for the church? Well, what's the evidence? Well, we think we'd all agree we know a tremendous amount. The, The least of us can uh, contradict very learned Christian ministers on fundamental doctrines, things that they have wrong. Uh, The the least of us can can correct them and show them what it actually says in the Bible. And yet, many of us are disruptive forces in our own homes and in our own congregations. Even when we can't congregate, we are disruptive forces in our Uh, comment platforms online and social media. You know, the family unit is the foundation of society because it shapes individuals who leave the family home to create households of their own. And I think we all know this. And yet, when Marxist organizations form with the mission of destroying the nuclear family, some of us will end up supporting these organizations, lending our moral and financial support to them. But the biggest evidence that the church has a massive problem with a misunderstanding of doctrine is in Christ's own words. In Matthew 10 and verse 21, he says, and the brother shall deliver up the brother to death and the father the child and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. We see here an attack on the family unit. We see a a complete breakdown of the family unit. And somehow the doctrinal understanding that God is building a family and how important the family is, that that understanding was not enough to prevent this behavior. That when Christ says that these things will happen, he's warning us that these things will happen within the church. You know, I think one of the biggest reasons that we've lost sight of what God is doing and our role in his plan and the danger we are in is the definition of a single word. And that word is indoctrination. Indoctrination. 
What does indoctrination mean? It's the process of teaching. This is the, the dictionary definition of indoctrination. The process of teaching a person or group to accept a set of beliefs uncritically. It's the, the, the process of teaching a person or group to accept a set of beliefs uncritically. This is indoctrination. And then they give us an example. I would never subject children to religious indoctrination. So this is our problem. That there is a process of indoctrination. Now, archaically, the, the, the archaic meaning of uh, indoctrination was simply teaching. It meant instruction, methods that were approved for teaching others. That's what indoctrination used to mean. But it has come to mean the basically injecting beliefs into others without their ability to think critically about these beliefs. And that, you know, although the connotation is religious indoctrination, the actual indoctrination that's destroying us, destroying society, and even destroying the church of God, is the indoctrination that's taking place in the education system. And this whole era of the postmodern philosophy that we're subjected to with the changing of meanings and, and the whole the, the, the uh, sugarcoating of Marxist philosophy, that that's, they, they, these Marxists have basically, from the 1920s, 1930s, uh, taken over the educational institutions. They call this the, the slow march through the institutions. So they have taken over the educational institutions. They have indoctrinated students who have graduated and then moved into leadership roles in every aspect of society, taking over every major, uh, I shouldn't say major, even uh, what we think are insignificant institutions, lower-level institutions, they're everywhere. And, and in a previous Bible study, I actually quoted the mayor of Chicago who made it clear that they do not put people in these positions unless they have sworn allegiance to the New World Order. So we have a, we're surrounded by this Marxist philosophy. Now, the doctrination is, is taking place there, or the indoctrination. That's what's taking place. That people are accepting these beliefs that they don't study history, they don't study philosophy, they, they don't learn how to think critically. They're just told what to be upset about, what to be angry about, and now they're, they're, they're everywhere. And that kind of thinking is infiltrating the church. Now, the biblical definition for doctrine is didache, or didache, and it means instruction, the giving of instruction and teaching. So doctrine is not knowledge. Doctrine is teaching. It's instruction. And we have this knowledge, and, and Pastor Murray actually said this last week in his sermon, for conscience sake, that doctrine creates belief, and belief drives behavior. So the reason we have the, the beliefs and the understanding we have is so that we can behave differently from those in the world. But unfortunately for many of us, we believe doctrine is just knowledge. Doctrine is what's in booklets. Do doctrine is the fundamental set of beliefs. And so we spend a lot of time studying, and you'll, we'll meet Christians decades in the church, but their behavior is not changing. That's not good doctrine. So for the sermon today, what I'd like to do is give you good doctrine. 
Together, let's understand the importance of doctrine and how good doctrine creates true Christians. And, and then I'd like to you know, look at some biblical examples, or sorry, biblical instructions of how we are to live as Christians in, in the various roles that we find ourselves in. Let's begin with the importance of doctrine. In the book, The History of European Ideas, Richard Weichart wrote a chapter on Marx, Engels, and the abolition of the family. So the chapter is called Marx, Engels, and the abolition of the family. And in the book, he traces where Marx and Engel, Engels first got their ideas on the abolition of the family, why the nuclear family had to be destroyed. And, and he shows that in 1843, they were associating with a socialist called Charles Fourier. And he writes this. Fourier advocated the replacement of monogamous marriage with a system allowing much greater latitude for sexual passions, since he believed that monogamy was an institution contrary to human nature and was thus an impediment to human happiness. He also proposed that children be raised communally, so society would be one big, harmonious family rather than fractured into competitive, squabbling family units. You know, I think a lot of brethren that are supporting these Marxist organizations, they, they haven't connected the dots. Let, let me connect the dots for you. Marxism is a global philosophy, or it's a philosophy that globalists have adopted to institute totalitarian reign or ruling. And the reason it's so attractive is it's easy to tell people, you should have what others have. It's easy to appeal to the covetous nature of man and to envy within man. It's just easy. It's an easy sell. And so the masses, most of which are poor, easily are seduced by this philosophy that it's not fair that you're poor. You should have what others have. So they get behind the, the rhetoric and they put these people in power. Once these people are in power, their, their fundamental mission is to tear down capitalism. And they believe, as Marx taught, that the nuclear family is a capitalist construct, that the nuclear family was created by capitalists in order for them to preserve their wealth and in order to, for them to pass their wealth down to the next generation. Therefore, the nuclear family has to be destroyed. And therefore, private property has to be destroyed. You should not own anything. The state should own everything. And your family is not yours. Your children belong to the state. And therefore, they will have the right to forcibly remove your children from your home. I hope we understand this. And since uh, they, they hate the, the, re, the biblical repression of sexuality, they believe that that runs against human nature, they want sexuality to be totally without any boundaries. That's why most of them are pedophiles. That's why they push for gender reassignment surgery of children. They would love to turn your little boys into girls so that they can have their pleasure with them in this communal setting where they have no biological attachment to these children. So there's no sense of protection of your children when they forcibly remove them from your home. I hope we can connect the dots. That our families are under attack. 
And family was not invented by capitalists. Family is, is the, the, the understanding, or the understanding of family comes from good doctrine. That God is a father. And from Genesis, of the, 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 from the very beginning, he instituted family. Because he's creating a family. And it is through his family that all mankind will be redeemed. So if we are Christians, we are automatically in opposition to anybody and everybody who is trying to destroy the family. So the hatred of family and the realization that it has to be destroyed was further reinforced and intensified after World War I. Because the Marxism said that when the world goes to war, all the workers of the world will unite against the bourgeoisie. But that didn't happen. When the world went to war, the opposite happened. The workers of the world united with the bourgeoisie as long as they were of the same nation. And they fought against the other nations. They fought against the other workers that were not part of their nation. And so this think tank was formed, this Marxist think tank was formed after World War I to say, what went wrong here? This was science. This was inevitable. In fact, Karl Marx didn't even teach about communism. All he did was criticize capitalism. All he did was tear down capitalism. And he was frustrated when there were people trying to explain communism and socialism, that socialism would lead to communism and, and, and what the utopia would look like. He called these people idiots, that they, it didn't have to be argued for. We just had to tear down capitalism because he felt that socialism was sort of, it was, it was evolution and it was inevitable. So we didn't have to argue for it. It's just going to come. And when socialism comes, it's inevitable that it would be replaced by communism. So, so it, was just, it was just science. And yet, after World War I, his prophecies failed. It didn't happen the way he said it would. And so this think tank, known as the Frankfurt School, came together to figure out what went wrong. And when they examined it, the conclusion they came to was, what went wrong was the nuclear family. It was because of the nuclear family that people uh, were, were loyal. They, they saw the nation as an extension of their family. The nation was the extended family. And the, the, the workers of other nations were not part of their family. And so they came to the conclusion that they must destroy the family. And they pivoted from classical Marxism, or what we call economic Marxism, to cultural Marxism. That the way to destroy, especially when they looked at America, and they saw this huge middle class where there wasn't this uh, economic significant economic disparity and that people could go from the lower class to the middle class and have a comfortable living, they realized the only way they were going to bring down America and the West was by pivoting. And, and the heart of Marxism is conflict between the haves and the have-nots. But they decided instead of focusing on economic haves and have-nots, let's pivot and focus on cultural haves and have-nots. And let's focus on that conflict. So the heart of Marxism is conflict. And the heart of Christianity is harmony. These are two fundamentally different philosophies that result in two fundamentally different behaviors. And so the whole world is being seduced fundamentally by this, this, culture, this cultural Marxism. And yet Christians should not be seduced if we understand what doctrine is. And what doctrine leads to. And as Pastor Murray said last week, our conscience, once it's educated, 
and synthesized with the Holy Spirit, once it's educated, it can, it, it can either excuse us or accuse us, and we actually want it to accuse us so that it, it, it shapes our behavior, and our behavior conforms to the Holy Spirit and to the mind of Christ. So Christ says in Luke 21 and verse 16, you shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolks and friends, and some of you shall they cause to be put to death. These are Christ's words, not my words. There is going to be massive betrayal. And the reason for that betrayal is bad doctrine and bad understanding or poor understanding of what doctrine is. So we have to have good doctrine. Now, we have the Torah to show us what society looks like when the moral fabric is broken down because that's that's what's happening the moral fabric of our society is being broken down the fundamental judeo-christian principles are being uprooted so let's look to the torah to see where is this heading you know there's a reason these these stories are in the torah so that we can look back and understand and be able to predict what's going to happen in the future contrary to evolution mankind is not getting better mankind is the same and it's the same devil that's working and working to seduce mankind and overtake mankind. Genesis 19. Let's turn to Genesis 19. In Genesis 19, beginning, we'll break in at verse 4. This is the story of Lot. But before they lay down, the men of the city. So this is, this is what society looks like when we finally remove Judeo-Christian principles. So these, this is Sodom and Gomorrah. They didn't have Judeo-Christian principles. The men of the city, even the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both old and young. Both old and young. This is what happens when we destroy family ties. That even the young get caught up in the debauchery. And the older are, are, are debasing the youth and, and initiating them into this satanic worship both old and young, all the people from every quarter. It's like a, a contagion. It's a virus that spreads easily. So, you know, listen to that. All people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into you this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them, that we may homosexually know them. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him. And said, I'm begging you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I beg you, bring them out unto you, and do you to them as it's good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. So, you know, this is uh, ancient culture. But they, once, you're, once you're in somebody's household, you're responsible for their safety. And that would be the worst thing that could happen to Lot, in Lot's mind, that these men that have come under his household should be ravaged by the, the men of the city or the people of every quarter of the city. So he's willing even to give them, give, give, give them his daughters. Look, these are virgins. Go take them. But this was a power play. Now, that's what happens to society when the moral fabric breaks down and, and it's not governed by Judeo-Christian principles. It will descend into satanic principles. Satan will take over. Now, from Christ's own words, what does he tell us? That the agape 
of many in the church will wax cold. That means the Holy Spirit will be removed from them. It will dry up. We know from the Torah, so we just saw from the Torah, what happens to society without a moral compass of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. But what happens to God's own people when they don't have the Holy Spirit? When they're no longer guided by the Word of God? They have the Word of God, but they're not guided by it. What happens to them? Let's look at Judges 19. So we just were in Genesis 19. Now let's look at Judges 19. Judges 19 we'll break in at verse 11. And when they were by Jabus, the day was far spent, so the sun is setting. And the servant said unto his master, Come, I pray you, and let us turn in to this city of the Jebusites and lodge in it. So this is uh, the Jebusites. Before Jerusalem was taken over by Israel, the Jebusites had it. And so these are Gentiles. And his master said unto him, We will not turn aside here into the city of a stranger that is not of the children of Israel. We will pass over to Gibeah. So the sun is setting. It's going to be dangerous at nighttime. But this uh, Levite is quite concerned about lodging in a Gentile city. So let's, let's just keep going. Uh, even though it's getting dark, we're going to keep going. We'll, we'll wait until we get to a city of Israel. And he said unto his servant, Come and let us draw near to one of these places to lodge all night in Gibeah or in Ramah, so cities of Israelites. And they passed on and went their way. And the sun went down upon them when they were by Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. So great, they found safety with Israel. Now, as they were making their hearts merry, behold, so, so the, this, this gentleman, first of all, I'm just going to skip to a few verses, but when we get to Judges 19, I think we'll get there not next week, but the week after, uh, what we'll see in, when we read it by line, line by line is uh, these men were not hospitable. So the man's looking, he's got food, he's got, his own, he's got his own provisions, he just needs a place to stay, and nobody would put him up. Finally, someone takes him in, and uh, similar to how Lot took in the angels, the, this, this man and his concubine are now taken in by this one Israelite. Now, as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, these are Israelites, this is an Israelite city, certain sons of Belial, beset the house round about and beat at the door and spoke to the master of the house, the old man, saying, Bring forth the man that came into your house. Bring him out. We, we know you have somebody in there that doesn't live in our city. It's a new man. We're, we're commanding you to bring him out. Why? That we may homosexually know him. Doesn't it sound doesn't it sound an awful lot like Sodom? But these are the people of God. These are Israelites. The, the man made a point of avoiding the Gentile cities because they understood these are Gentiles. They don't have the word of God. So he went he made the extra effort to go to an Israelite city, to go to a city of the people of God who have the Torah. But they've abandoned the Torah and they've taken on the practices of the society around them. And so what we see in Sodom, we see here in Gibeah. Bring forth the man that came into your house, that we may know him. And the man, the master of the house, went out unto them, the same way Lot went out unto them. So when Moses is writing this, uh, so Moses wrote Genesis. Now, who's, I think it's Samuel writing um, 
uh, judges for uh, Saul, as he's writing it, he's, he's borrowing language from Moses to write it in exactly the same way, to send a message here. This is what happens to God's people when they don't hold on to the Torah. They adopt the practices of the society around them. And bear in mind that throughout Judges were reminded they were doing what was right in their eyes. So, so this descent into depravity was rationalized and justified, just as we're seeing today. We've already begun the descent. And we, we have ways of justifying it. But Christ says, ultimately, brother will betray brother. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit will wax cold. The, the, the agape will be gone. That means we will no longer be guided by Torah. And so lawlessness or iniquity will abound. It will be abundant. It will flourish. It will be very successful. And people will feel like they're being part of something successful. So he says, uh, verse 23, The man, the master of the house, went out unto them and said, No, my brethren, my brethren, my, my fellow Israelites, I beg you, do not do so wickedly, seeing that this man has come into my house. Don't do this folly, the same thing that Lot said. Don't do this. He's come into my house. Behold, here is my daughter. She's a virgin. And here's his, here's his concubine. Them I will bring out now. And you can humble them. So that was, the, it was a power play. A lot of people think homosexuals are these sort of soft, very uh, feminine, effeminate kind of people. These are powerful people. And what they want to do is humiliate people from another town. Already humi- everybody knows their place. It's a power play. People want power. And this is part of the humiliation, the initiation. Bring them out now. These are Israelites who have adopted the practices of the society around them. And, and humble these and do with them what seems good to you. But unto this man, do not sow such a vile thing. Do not sow vile a thing. Don't, don't be so vile. Come on. But the men would not hearken to him. So the man took his concubine and brought her forth unto them. And they knew her and abused her. All These are Israelites, brethren. These are people who have the Torah. They've come into the promised land with the Torah. But they've abandoned the Torah. They've compromised with it. I shouldn't say abandoned because they still think they keep the Sabbath. They keep the holy days. They do what's right in their eyes because they have a little bit of knowledge. They think they have all knowledge. But they've adopted the practices of the people around them. And so we don't need to continue there. But you get the idea that these things are written as examples for us upon whom the ends of the age have come. So as society, so, you know, society for the most part, Western society, it's been heavily influenced and governed by Judeo-Christian principles. So there's a lot of corruption, but there's still this sort of fundamental principle. It's all slipping away. It is all slipping away, and it's being replaced by different principles. And society is collapsing. And the moral code of society is collapsing with it. And brethren, if we're not careful, what we see in our minds as good behavior, as right behavior, we will begin to do what's right in our own eyes rather than to be governed by Torah. And slowly by slowly, the agape expression that is only possible by the Holy Spirit will fade and go cold. And we'll begin to hate one another and despise one another, and rejoice when we put one another to death. And who knows, maybe we'll even get involved in this depravity, because that's what Marxism is all about. Free love, free sexuality, and the breaking down of the family. So I said good doctrine creates good Christians. 
Look at John 16. John 16 and verse 20. John 16 and verse 20. Truly, truly. So God is not mincing words here. Take this to the bank. Truly, truly, I say unto you that you true Christians, Christ is telling us, here's your future. Truly, truly, I say unto you that you shall weep and lament. And so we're just finishing up the book of Judges over the next couple of weeks, God's willing, God willing, and then we'll get back to Psalms. Uh, and as we study the Psalms, we are learning how to weep and lament biblically. There's a lot of lamentations in the Psalms. But there's a context to the lamentations. There's, there's, a, there's a covenant context that even though there is sorrow and pain and trials, the psalmists come out of it with joy because they have the covenant promises and the covenant context and the faithfulness of God. Even though the people of God have been unfaithful and have brought this uh, calamity upon themselves, the psalmists understand that God is in covenant with Israel and he is faithful and ultimately they'll be brought out. And so Christ tells us here, society is bringing the wrath of God upon itself. And included in that is their depravity, but it's also their persecution of of godliness. All those who desire to live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. That's a fact. Take that to the bank. It's the word of God. So truly, truly, I'm telling you that you shall weep and lament. It's it's not going to be bright. It's not going to be happy times. Buckle up. Fasten your seatbelts. Brace yourself. I'm telling you, you you shall weep and lament. But the world shall rejoice. So you know, if you're part of the winning team right now, if you're, if you're part of a movement that's growing, that is financed to the tune of billions of dollars and has global acceptance all over the world, you're part of the winning team. Congratulations. You're not on God's team. God's team is going to suffer persecution. It's going to appear like we're losing, but we're not. We're being refined. But the world shall rejoice. But you, true Christians, shall be sorrowful. But your sorrow shall be turned into joy. And their joy shall be turned into sorrow. So why does our joy remain? Why do we end this story in joy? How come they can't take the joy away from us? That even though we we, we lament and we sorrow, we still have hope. Why? Well, he tells us why in the previous chapter. So that is John 16. Let's just go back one chapter to John 15 and verse 1. He says, I am the true vine. So there are false vines. Just by the fact that he identifies himself as the true vine tells us there are false vines. I'm the true vine. And my father is the husbandman. Again, family. There's a family uh, construct taking place here. There's a father and a son. And we call each other brethren. And we call Christ brother. The church is our mother. This is where the family concept comes from. It didn't come from capitalism. That's that's, that's false. I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. He's the one that's working this, this plan. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. The love of many shall wax cold. That's the taking away. 
And as your love waxes cold, you develop hostility towards the people of God. So much so that you're rejoicing when the people of God are put to death. This, this is, you're actually being taken away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it. So any persecution that comes upon us, any sorrow that comes upon us, it's a refining process. We're being purged. Why? That we can bring more fruit. That through these trials, our understanding deepens and crystallizes, and, and suddenly we're very clear about what matters and what doesn't, and, and what God is expecting of us, and how to be successful. Now, you are clean. How are we clean? Through the word which I have spoken unto you. This is the importance of doctrine. Doctrine is the word. It's the logos. You know, the, the whole point of postmodernism is to destroy logic, to, to change the meaning of words, to, to uh, make, make, make it clear that there is no in, interpretation of any text. All text can be interpreted any way you like. It's up to the interpreter how you want to interpret it. There is no meaning. That's where we're heading with postmodernism. And with that doctrine, we're heading into chaos and debauchery. But Christ says through this doctrine, through the teaching of the word, that he's spoken unto us, that he's taught us, this is how we become clean. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. This is the only way. So this is, this is what happens. Why does the agape, the love that's only possible through the Holy Spirit, why does it grow cold? Well, he's telling us why right here. That some choose not to abide in him. Some choose not to be cleaned up by his words. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. So as we abide in him and his words abide in us, the Father is overlooking all of this, and he's looking for fruit. Are you bearing fruit? Just as his words bear fruit in us, our words need to bear fruit in others. What's our family situation? What's our congregational situation? What's our contribution to society? What, what are we posting on our social media? Are we bearing fruit? Because the Father is watching all of this activity. And if he doesn't see fruit, he removes the Holy Spirit. If the conscience isn't accusing us and guiding us into better behavior, he removes the Holy Spirit. And, and we don't realize it, but our perspective begins to change. And our perspective begins to become that of the world around us. And we begin to see the world through their lens rather than the lens of the Torah. And lawlessness abounds. He says, I am the vine. You're the branches. Don't get confused here. I'm the branch. I'm the vine. You're the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. So this is not, um, this is not something we have to somehow figure out on our own. It's just as the word abides in us, it naturally expresses itself through us in different ways. We have different gifts, but it expresses our way, its way through us so that we bear fruit. It's, it's, it's guaranteed. As long as we abide in him and his word abides in us. And that's critical. Because the postmodernists are playing with language. There, there's an attack on language. And we need to be careful. Again, you know, some of the accusations I've read uh, over, uh, against me over the last few weeks, I, I, I trace the etymology. 
Where, where does this language come from? Because it doesn't come from the church of God. It doesn't come from the Bible. And when I search it, you know, things like you're throwing shade. Okay, what does that mean? Search it. It comes from the, the transgender homosexual society. That's where that comes from. And then it finds itself in the church of God. White fragility. Where does that come from? This is Marxist philosophy that finds its way into the church of God. He says, if you abide in me, this is a very important verse, verse 5. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Uh, And then we'll just read on here. He says, if a man abides not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. Withered, the agape grows cold. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. He says, if you abide in me, verse 7, and my words abide in you. My words. Not words of Marxist philosophy. Not words of homosexual transgenderism. Not words of postmodernism. Be careful. When we talk about social justice, then we talk about racial justice. And the new one is now family justice. You know what family justice is? Once you start talking like this, you don't know where it's going. The intellects are playing us. They, know what, they have a plan. They know where this is going. Family justice is the destruction of the nuclear family. Family justice is it's not fair for you to call your children or your grandchildren yours. That, that's not fair. And, and then those children have uh, property or they have uh, wealth and economic means that others don't have. So family justice is we take the children away and they belong to the state. And now everything is fair. And since they belong to the state, anybody can raise them. And since anybody can raise them and they've developed this appetite of homosexuality and debauchery, well, the children belong to the community. And it's all about love. This is where we're going when we let other people's words abide in us and we begin to speak with their words instead of using the Torah and the the, the scriptures, the writings, and the teachings of Christ himself. We call call things sin, and we call things abomination, and we call for justice, period. That's what the Bible calls for, justice. We don't slip into this postmodernist talk. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. This is the fight. Can we keep Christ's words in us? You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. This is, this is where we're heading. We're going to be doing things and bearing fruit despite the wickedness around us. Herein, this is how my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. This is how you'll be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. So some are withering. The agape in some is growing cold. They're becoming hostile. But you continue in the love and in the passion and the compassion. And when you see people failing, we, we reach out to them. And we try, we take time. We go through the effort of trying to appeal to them, to help them to understand. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. So lawlessness, iniquity is going to abound. And we're going to begin to think it's okay, because you know we're a little bit better than those around us. But we're so far now from the Torah, we've lost our anchor. But if we keep his commandments... We will abide in his love, even as he kept his father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you. Why? This is it now. 
I'm, I'm telling you these things. Why? Why is he giving us this, this, this instruction, this doctrine? Why this teaching? Knowing that we're going to weep and lament. Knowing that we're going to be persecuted. Knowing that all those who desire to live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. Why is he giving us this teaching about the vine and the husbandman and abiding in his word? Or having his word abide in us and us abiding in him. Why this? Verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you, or I have instructed you, that my joy might remain in you. While people are being removed, the the Father is removing them. While the love of many is waxing cold, while we are going to be betrayed, and pray God, and God forbid it's us. You know, is is it I, Lord? Let us fight hard. To, to, to follow the commandments and to fight for the Torah and lawfulness and not get swept up in other people's words, but stay in his words. Why? That my joy might remain in you. There's this joy deep in our heart. We're not full of covetousness. We're not looking at what other people have and saying, I'm unhappy because I don't have that. We don't care what other people have because we have something that is inexplicable. The the joy of what we have, we can never explain to somebody. They they have to experience it for themselves. We see the future. We know what God is doing. We're this close to eternal life. He says, I've spoken to you that my joy might remain in you. That when everything's going haywire, there's a joy inside us. We're weeping and lamenting, but we're weeping and lamenting with a joy. Because this joy remains in us. And that your joy might be full. It's going to come to the full. This is my commandment. You've got to obey this commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Instead of causing each other to be put to death, he loved us so much he allowed himself to be put to death. So we will, be, we will allow ourselves to be put to death for the sake of our brothers, for the sake of our sisters, for the sake of the family. This is where we are. Now, in 1 Timothy 1, let's turn there. Good doctrine creates true Christians. First Timothy 1 and verse 9, he says, Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. You know, it's, it's not that God is looking for the perfect. Let's, we want to create a community of the perfect. We are flawed human beings. And we need to acknowledge that and understand that. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers. There is forgiveness. Even though there's family breakdown here, that is, we continue to preach the gospel, to get the word of God out there, to post this on our social media, not contributing to societal breakdown, but, but contributing to the hope of mankind and articulating that. There are people who have participated in ungodly acts with full ungodliness, and they hear this hope, and they repent. And that's what the law is for. In a time of when iniquity will abound, for manslayers, for whoremongers, people who love sexual prostitution, and you know they, they, don't, they don't want borders. And the reason they don't want borders is because they want human trafficking. And they want drug trafficking. And there's a lot of money being made off human beings. Women, children, babies. For whoremongers. For them that defile themselves with mankind. And we see even the people of God when they loosen themselves from the Torah. 
they defile themselves with mankind. For men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is, what? Contrary to sound doctrine. Notice that this whole list has nothing to do with knowledge. It's not about your knowledge. This, these are all actions. These are all actions that are contrary to sound doctrine. Therefore, sound doctrine is about actions. Sound doctrine results in sound behavior. If we are teaching sound doctrine, we do not have Christians who engage in debauchery. We do not have Christians who engage in societal uh, subversion and wanting to overthrow and be a revolution. Let's overthrow society and tear down society. And we do not have Christians who are disruptive forces inside the family congregation because that is all contrary to sound doctrine. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, this first, okay, I'm going to exhort you. This is, this is uh, Paul exhorting Timothy. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, first priority, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for who? For all men. This is good doctrine. That Christians, what we're being taught, and as we're being taught to love each other in a very real, authentic way, not superficial, but to really love each other, and flaws and all, that that now, as that's developed, extends to the whole world. And we give prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. The way I hear some Christians talk today about President Trump, who actually I'm pretty impressed with. I'm not into politics, but I'm, I'm into philosophies that can destroy the church. And the, the one right now, big one, is Marxism. And I see that they had an intention to overtake one of the parties, and they've done that. So one of the parties is totally communist. The other one has been infiltrated and is also socialist, but it hasn't been taken over. But then this man, this businessman, comes in, and he's, he, they don't have control over him. So he's up against very powerful, the most powerful people in the whole world. And he's fighting for American freedom. I respect that. But Christians hate him. Church of God members talk about him with such despicable terms. You know, Nehemiah worked for the king. And when the king saw that something was wrong with him, this pagan king, he says to him, Nehemiah, what's wrong? He says, O king, live forever. The king says, I've never seen you unhappy in my presence. I've never heard you... Uh, despising me and trying to destroy my, my reputation. Nehemiah worked for a pagan king, but he had good character. And he says to the king, live forever. So here, Christians, this is good doctrine, that we pray for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And so previous administration, the leader was a Marxist. He, he made, he's a Marxist and set out to destroy America. And now we have somebody fighting to save America from, from global slavery and to save children from being trafficked and women from being trafficked. We should pray that he is successful in this, in this fight so that we can lead a quiet and peaceful life because so goes America, so goes the Western world. In all godliness and honesty, for this is good. This is good. I don't know, I don't know what all, all of us are doing. What I can tell you is this is good behavior. 
this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Remember, judges, that the people were doing what was right in their own eyes. But in the eyes of God, they were doing evil. So here we see what is right in the eyes of God, that we would pray for and that we would pray for those in authority so that we can lead a quiet and peaceable life, so that this gospel message can be preached and, it, and, and not censored and not shut down. This is what's good and acceptable in the sight of our God. So what am I doing and what are you doing? Because the scripture tells us very clearly what is good and what is acceptable behavior. And good doctrine leads to good behavior, a behavior that is acceptable in the sight of God. And what does God say? He says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have what? All men to be saved. So God would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So it is this teaching of the truth that will lead to all men being saved. You know, verse 4 here of 1 Timothy 2, we could just summarize it with the, with the expression, sort of bring it into modern language, all lives matter. That, that is biblical teaching, that all lives matter. All men to be saved, because all lives matter. He, he tells us to make disciples of all nations, to take this teaching that we've received and pass it on to all nations. So I want to just ask you a very quick question, and it's just whether or not you recognize this woman. It's a woman that some of you may recognize. Does she look familiar to you? Take a moment and have you seen her before? Her name is Jessica Doty Whitaker. Jessica Doty Whitaker. Does it ring a bell? Does she sound familiar? So I said, you know, I should, her name, I should say her name was. Uh, you know, she's dead now. This woman was 24 years old and the mother of a three-year-old. Last week, she was shot in the head because she was with a group that got into conflict with another group. In the conflict, someone from the other group shouted, Black Lives Matter. And she shouted, All Lives Matter. And for that, Jessica was shot in the head. This woman could have been a member of the Church of God. And when somebody says Black Lives Matter, she could have just been expressing what we just read in the scriptures. No, all lives matter. God wants all men to be saved. And this potential member of the church was shot in the head. Anybody who supports this organization, where Black Lives Matter has become Black Lives Better, it's like Animal Farm, you know, four legs bad, two legs good. And then once the pigs take over and start walking on two legs and acting like the humans, that mantra became four legs good, two legs better. And the, 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 the people who fought for this revolution, or the animals that fought for this revolution, just got manipulated. And they were under the same humiliation and subjection. Actually, it was actually worse than they were under when the humans were running the farm. We're living through Animal Farm. And Black Lives Matter is, is, is it's, it's a joke. It's a hoax. We have to see through it. The phrase, Black Lives Matter, of course Black Lives Matter. What, what idiot on the planet would want to argue the phrase? But the movement, that, that's a multi-billion dollar movement and a globally successful movement, that's something else. And Christians who have supported it, I want to inform you, you now have blood on your hands. 
And that blood eventually is going to be Christian blood. That a, a brother or sister in the faith is going to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and say something like all lives matter, which is the gospel, and get shot in the head. We cannot lend our support. I, I've done my best to warn. Now it's up to you. We cannot lend our support to these wicked, wicked organizations. In Second Timothy 2 and verse 1, Paul continues, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit, to, commit you to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. This is good doctrine, that the teaching is handed down from one generation to the next, that the teaching continues. It began with Christ and his, his disciples and those apostles that then taught others. And then these men raised up other elders, and these elders raised up other elders. And that's, that's the design, so that the teaching continues, so that the formation of good character continues. Verse 3. You, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Are you getting entangled in the affairs of this life? Have you, have you gotten caught up in this present evil world? Well, a good soldier for Christ, yes, there are situations that, that, that need attention. And there are people that need to be fed and people that need to be clothed and uh, matters that need our support and attention. But we can't be entangled in them where they, they have a higher priority than the work we've been called to do for Christ. No man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. In other words, if you allow yourself to be entangled for some cause that you think is really important for social justice... It feels right, and you're doing good in your own eyes. But God is saying, you're not pleasing me because you're getting caught up in the affairs of this life. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. So in the passage there that you heard our brother Landon reading, uh, these people wanted to kill Christ. And Christ is saying, like, you know, you have the Torah, but you don't follow it because you want to kill me. If you were following the Torah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to put me to death. I haven't done anything worthy of death. So we have to check ourselves, not against our own ideas and the philosophies of this world. We need to compare ourselves to the word of God and ensure that his word is abiding in us. And it's guiding us and it's educating our conscience and our conscience is directing us into good behavior. Because lawlessness will abound. Iniquity shall be successful. It, it's like it's going to be gaining momentum. And it's like, hey, I should go that way because everybody seems to be going that way. That seems to be the, the winning horse of the race. I should, I should bet on that horse. Well, no, we don't, we don't look at who's winning right now. We look at the law. We look at the Torah. We look at the, how the scripture is based in the Torah and expresses the Torah from Genesis to Revelation. And we understand the plan of God and our part in it. And we're, we're at 30,000 feet above the natural human. And we don't get entangled in the affairs of this life. And we strive lawfully, full of the law. If my words abide in you, Christ says, that means we're full of it. We're full of the word. We're, we're, study, we're not studying just to have knowledge. We're up and down the Bible, up and down the Bible. Anybody ask a question, we can answer the question. We're up and down the Bible. But our behavior is not changing. We're disruptive. 
We're supporting social justice causes. We're tearing down ministers for our social justice causes. This is not lawful. We have to be full of the law as we strive, or we won't be crowned. Verse 14. Of these things, these things, these behaviors, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. So this whole postmodernism that's infected education and that, that the whole media is running after and they're playing with words. You know, we've got to instruct you as elders. We've got to charge you as elders. Before the Lord, we're charging you. Don't get caught up in this. Don't be striving for these causes that are just using rhetoric. Again, you know, Black Lives Matter, that's rhetoric. What's your fruit? What are you doing? What have you built? What have you constructed? What, what, what profitable thing have you done? Or are you just tearing everything down and just subverting the hearers? They're using good rhetoric to subvert the hearers. Then he says, study. Study to, sh- why do you study? To have knowledge? Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed. It doesn't say a knowledge man. Study to show yourself approved unto God so that you can become a knowledge man or a knowledge woman, a workman. And and we're studying so that we need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He says, let the word abide in you. And rightly dividing means we're not being indoctrinated. We're not being fed things and just not thinking critically. We're able to think critically. And if we have disagreement, we're not disruptive. You know, the, 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 when Paul taught the Bereans, they went and studied to see if these things were so. And he was there for weeks and they would come back and say, well, you know, you said this last week, but we went and we studied it. We're not sure. What do you mean by this? They weren't disruptive. They were inquisitive. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. There's there's rhetoric, there's doctrine that does not result in godly behavior. It does the opposite. It weakens the Holy Spirit. It It puffs us up with knowledge, but it doesn't convert into good behavior. And that word study, if you study the word study, it means to endeavor earnestly to earnestly contend for the faith. It's a, it's a fight. We're studying to put into action. As he says, it's workmen. And, and we're showing to, that we will be approved. What that means is, at the end of our lives, we hear the words, well done, you good and faithful servant. We're not, we're not studying so that we hear the words, well known, you great knowledgeable Bible student. Well known. That was really well known. You really got into that. You really knew your stuff. Well known, you good and knowledgeable Bible student. No, well done. We're studying to do. The word is cleaning us up. It's conforming us to the mind of Christ. It's changing us. Well done. You were studying. You rightly divided the word of truth. And you changed your behaviors. Because the people that are kept out of the kingdom of God are kept out of the kingdom of God because of their behavior. And the people that are allowed entrance into the word of God are allowed entrance because of their behavior. So we've got to be constantly studying the word. And in Revelation 1, verse 3, he tells us, Blessed are they who hear, 
who, who read the words of this prophecy and those who hear. And we're listening to the words of this prophecy, and, and, and it's in the continuous present tense, meaning we study it, we study it, we study it. We don't leave it behind. Because we know what happens when people leave the word of God behind. But we also know what happens when the word of God abides in us and changes us. And as the world around us is, is, is changing, we're viewing it through the lens of the word of God. Because his words abide in us. And that's why we fight to keep good doctrine in mind. So, last point. How then are we to live as Christians? So we know that doctrine is not just knowledge. That the purpose of doctrine is to create belief. And that belief drives behavior. So good doctrine creates good beliefs. And those good beliefs create good behavior. So we all have different roles. So how does good doctrine inform us to behave in these different roles? Look at Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6 and verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Okay, so any children out there, if you're hearing me, if your parents are in the Lord and they're instructing you in the Lord, good doctrine is informing you to obey them. On the other hand, if they're telling you to go against the word of God, then you're under no obligation to obey that. But as long as they're in the Lord and they're, they're instructing you and asking you to do things, good doctrine creates good children. Obey them. This is right. Whatever, whatever um, the Marxist might be teaching you, and what I'll tell you they're teaching, they're teaching you to hate your parents. They're teaching you to despise your parents and to see them as uh, entitled and privileged. And it's your job to tear them down. That's not good doctrine. That's not good doctrine. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is what's right. This is what's right in God's eyes. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. That it may be well with you. With you, not with others. God is coming with fury. God is coming with wrath. Don't kid yourself. A lot of us think that God is coming the way he came in, with his first coming. With all this mercy. No, the second coming, he's coming with wrath. He's coming to make war. And to unleash his anger and rage on this evil world. We want that wrath to pass over us. We do that not by doing what's right in our own eyes, but by doing what's right according to God. Therefore, we view our behavior through the lens of Scripture. And we conform, we evaluate our behavior through the Scripture. And as Pastor Murray said last week, we educate our conscience with Scripture so that our conscience can keep us conformed to Scripture. That it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And ultimately, we want you to have eternal life. Okay, that's one role. What if you're a father? And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So there's a way that we can parent where we just take all the rights away from the child and we're just constantly on them and nagging them and why aren't you more like me and oh, your, your older brother doesn't act like that. Why can't you be like your older brother? And we just provoke them to the point where they're angry and then they, they lash out. 
and then they're cursed for not honoring their parents. Don't do that. Instead, good doctrine will have you bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And now, if you do your part, where you're nurturing them and giving them the admonition of the Lord, and then they do their part, where as long as you're instructing them in the Lord, they're going to obey you, we have harmony. The fundamental philosophy of Marxism is conflict, which comes from Satan. He was a child of Satan. The fundamental philosophy of Christ is harmony. The Holy Spirit is about harmony. If there's any conflict, we're not the instigators of it. We are the victims of it, but we rise above it. Now, what if you're an employee? Again, the zeitgeist of the time is conflict. You've got to go on strike. You've got to uh, you know, firebomb your place of, uh, of employment. You've got to loot and shoot because it's not fair that the bourgeoisie should have profits. We want what they have. Okay? Servants, or according to today's economy, employees. Be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh. So, so you know, I might be an elder, but in the flesh, I actually work for somebody, and they're my master in the flesh. Good doctrine says that I should be obedient to them. They ask me to do something, right away, I'll look after that. And they know, if Adrian said he'll look after it, he'll look after it. He shows up on time, he does the work. Be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. That's very different from the zeitgeist of the age, which is all about rebellion and subversion. That's not good doctrine. I'm giving you good doctrine. Not with eye service. It's not hypocritical as men-pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. This is what's pleasing to God, that you serve your employee as if you were serving Christ. That's how you build godly character. With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. So you're, you're, you're just not on this human plane. You're on a different level. And you're working for this employer as if they were Christ. Why? Because you're on a different level. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man does, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. So we're not looking for compensation now. And you masters do the same things unto them. So again, okay, if you're, if you're an employer, you're, you're a supervisor, you're a boss, you have people working for you, and you're a Christian, how do you behave? What does good doctrine say? Do the same things unto them. Forbearing threatenings. Don't, don't threaten them. The, Marxism is about conflict. Christ is about harmony. How one human mind can harmonize with another. Regardless of role. Whatever role we find ourselves in, the Holy Spirit, the mind of Christ, is about human minds harmonizing and working together. Forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is there respect of persons with him. He doesn't respect persons. He's, he judges fairly. So the same way the Israelites, when they were once slaves, they were to have compassion on the foreigners because they were in a situation. So we now, in the same way, we are slaves to our master. And we should learn from that relationship as to how to treat those who work for us. And all of that leads into the armor of God. So 
you know, we know that passage quite well, put on the whole armor of God. But what leads into it is good doctrine. Therefore, putting on the armor of God, the spiritual fight is about obeying good doctrine, being able to behave properly in whatever role we find ourselves in. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 1, continuing this uh, theme of the employee, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. Very different from the zeitgeist of today's world. If you're an employee and you're under the yoke, count your, this is good doctrine, count your own masters worthy of all honor. Why? That the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Stop blaspheming the doctrine of God. Stop blaspheming the name of God. Rather, be put to death because of the name of God. Be hated by all nations because of the name of God. Stop blaspheming the name of God and thinking that you're doing right. Doing right in your own eyes, but blaspheming the name of God. This is how we make sure we're not blasphemers. And they that have believing masters, so even if your master is a pagan, that's one thing. Still you have an, a, a, a doctrinal responsibility as to how you treat that master. But what if your master is a Christian? And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they're brethren. But rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. This is what I'm going to teach and exhort. This is what Timothy taught and exhort. This is what your elders teach and exhort. Don't fall for false doctrine. Good doctrine creates the right belief system, which results in good behavior. If any man teach otherwise, any man, don't fall for it. There's a lot of rhetoric. It's going to sound nice. But if it's contradicting sound doctrine, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, these are wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, let his words abide in us. But these, these teachers will not consent to this. They want revolution. They want subversion. They want violence. They want activism. This is not from the Bible. This, this, this is carnal behavior and carnal understanding. We need to elevate our understanding and be, be soldiers of Christ. And we're operating on a different plane altogether. But... If any man, verse 3, teach otherwise and consent not, consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, these words that should abide in us, but they're not consenting to it. And to what? To the doctrine, which is what? Which is according to godliness. Good doctrine is according to godliness. If, if we just say good doctrine is knowledge, then we can have all this knowledge. I'm like a walking encyclopedia. Anybody who has a question, I've got the answer. But my behavior isn't changing. And I'm not teaching others how to behave like this. It's contrary to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. Then he is proud. Remember, knowledge puffs up. So if we have knowledge, but it's not according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing. Anything we know, we, we really know nothing. Every day we learn, we realize how little we knew before. And yet there's even so much more to know. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words. Again, the latest thing right now is Black Lives Matter and getting into strifes of words. But they don't know, not, they don't, they know nothing. 
whereof comes envy. And that's what the Marxists play on. This is how Adam failed, how Eve failed, envy, how Cain failed. It goes all the way back. It's human nature to fall for envy. He says, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. That's, that's what's pervading society now. These perverse disputings and angers everywhere and rages everywhere. And, and the Marxists are, are, are leveraging the unrest and the, the dissatisfaction in America. They want to bring America down. So they're stimulating black unrest. They're exploiting. They're not doing anything for blacks. They've never done anything for blacks. But they love to exploit the unrest. They love to stimulate the anger. Every movie, every documentary, everything is taking us back to how horrible things were in the past. Instead of celebrating the fact that this nation repented of its past and moved on. And prior to the Marxists getting into government, race relations were actually improving. And now they've just been destroyed. And the Marxists are just stimulating this unrest to, to use the blacks as an unpaid army, an unpaid army to overthrow civilization. And then once it's overthrown, they'll get nothing. They've never given them anything. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. Social justice. We need gain for all because this is righteousness. Uh, no, it's not. That's called covetousness. Supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw yourself so remember the wheat and the tares grow together but some wheat are weak some wheat are deceived some wheat are misinformed and we can talk to them and as we talk to them and show them scripture they will recognize the voice of the lord my sheep hear my voice and so they'll follow the voice of christ if we give them the voice of christ but remember the tares also grow among us and they don't care about the word you give them the word of god and they just don't care it's like wait a minute i'm giving you the word of god Oh, I see. From such withdraw yourself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So the Christ, this is good doctrine. The Christian is content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Titus 2. Titus 2. And verse 1. But you speak the things which become sound doctrine. So you, Titus is a minister. You've got to speak the things that become sound doctrine. What are they? Does it all, it's all about knowledge? What are the things that become sound doctrine? That the aged men, notice it's all behavior. Sound doctrine results in sound behavior. The Christian has sound conduct. I can tell you're a Christian by your behavior. I don't care about your words. God doesn't care about your words. He cares about your fruit. And when I say that, I mean your rhetoric. Of course, every word we're going to have to give account for. And every injurious word, we're going to have to give an account for. And we have to use the word to educate others. But when God evaluates us and he finally says, well done, or not so well done, he's evaluating our behavior. Therefore, we must preach the things that become sound doctrine. Because the time is coming when the church will not endure sound doctrine. They can't stand it. We're going to give them sound doctrine, intense prophecy, and an exhortation to good behavior, and they won't want it. Because the Spirit is drying up, and we're falling into the situation of judges. Verse 2. Here's, good, here's sound doctrine. 
that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. So if you're an older man in the church, this is sound doctrine for you. If you're an older woman, if that's your role, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior, the evaluation is your behavior, how do you behave in the church of God? We're looking to you, older women. We need you. What is your behavior? What are you teaching? That the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becomes holiness, not false accusers. We cannot have this from you, ladies. Sisters in the faith who are mature. We need You are pillars in the faith. We have people looking to you for guidance and leadership. Not false accusers. Not given to much wine. Teachers of good things. If it's just puffed up knowledge, that's not good enough. It's teaching good things, teaching behavior. We need you in a society that's collapsing around us, where our young people are surrounded by all kinds of immoral examples. God is calling on you to teach good things. What are these good things? That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. While society is attacking the family, while the family is being destroyed, we need you to build the family. You know, the Proverbs 31 woman didn't just drop from the sky. She came out, she was a young girl that grew up in the admonition of the Lord. And then she left that household and created her own household with her own husband. And she came from somewhere with good instruction. And you read the Proverbs 31 woman, and it starts with, whoso finds this, this woman, she's, her worth is far above rubies. And being married to a Proverbs 31 woman, I'll tell you that. This is the greatest wealth. This is the greatest joy. Coming up 30 years and being loved by a Proverbs 31 woman and seeing how she manages the household and does good all the time. And, and young ladies, if you don't have good examples of how to be a good wife, a good mother, a keeper at home, reach out to me. I'll put you in touch with my wife. The things that she does, how she runs this household, it, it, it creates an, an oasis. What, what's your home life like? Is it beautiful? Could, could somebody move in with you and just watch you and just think, wow, this is a beautiful family. It's, it's not full of drama and railings. Teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands to love their children, to be discreet. And, and you, the older women themselves are not discreet. Plunging necklines, bosoms everywhere, tight clothing everywhere. This is not... Loud voices shouting. Minister speaking and shouting at the minister while he's speaking. This is not good, con this is not good conduct. To be discreet. They're discreet and they're teaching others to be discreet. Chaste. And again, we need this. Keepers at home. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. This is a huge responsibility and a great joy to have a godly home. Keepers at home, good, obedient. Sorry, I just lost my notes here, hit the wrong key. So, so they need to be keepers at home and, and good and obedient. 
and, and again, the, 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 the whole society around us is railing against the home and doing everything they can to destroy the home and to disparage home life. So they should be keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. Why? That the word of God be not blasphemed. So sound doctrine protects the name of God. Sound doctrine is the opposite of blasphemy. If you're a young man, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded. In all things, showing yourself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. So Again, we just want to be focused on good doctrine. And, and I can tell you, you know, I, I learned, I, I think I had two big um, mentors in, in how to, what, what this thing that God is doing is all about. One was the Ottawa Congregation of the Worldwide Church of God, many of which are with us today in the, in the CGI Ottawa. That I came, I was this kind of wild man that was just pursuing God, but I, I didn't have a great upbringing. I had a great mother, but, you know, she could only do so much. I came from a broken home, and I'm one of those statistics. My brother in and out of jail. I could have been that. But I had this love for God. And finally, he led me to the church, and I would call it a soft landing. I came into the Ottawa congregation, and it was a family. At that time, it was just a really healthy, loving family. And I was just kind of this weird guy that kind of just, I was just a strange, one of those strange singles. And they just embraced me. They just brought me in. And I felt what it's like to be part of it. And that imprinting of a congregational family is with me to this day. And it's very important to me that when people come among us, they get that soft landing. We don't know where they're coming. Some of them might be murderers, men stealers, who knows what they are. And they need that soft landing and to be part of a a family, a, a healthy family. And then secondly was my wife. She comes from such a structured, healthy family that as I started to interact with her, she really taught me, this is, this is how a family behaves. And, and then the Holy Spirit, working with these examples, these role models, we need role models. God is calling on you to be a role model. That's sound doctrine. So let's do our part. You know, I, I, I was going to go to Hebrews 13. You can look at that. The marriage bed is, the marriage is honorable and the bed is undefiled. That that's where the bonding takes place. And to rem- if you're a congregant, to remember those that have the rule over you. People don't like that. They hate the idea of a minister having any sort of authority. And he says, you know, don't be carried away with strange and, and diverse doctrines. But, but be established in the truth. So, and there's just, it's everywhere. So search the scriptures to see if these things are so. We have the prophecy in Daniel 11:32 that says that such as do wickedly against the covenant will be corrupted by flatteries. But the people that do know their God will be strong and do exploits. So we have to be these role models that if it's not in our time, the next generation of Christians will remember our teaching, remember our role models. So John 7, Christ says that his doctrine is not his, this is verse 16, but his that sent him. And if any man will do his will, so the doctrine isn't his, it's him that sent him. And verse 17, if any man will do his will, he will know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaks of himself seeks his own glory. Verse 18 is the acid test. When we listen to rhetoric, well, first of all, we should be looking for fruit, because it's by their fruit we shall know them. But when we listen to rhetoric, is the rhetoric self-promoting? Am I standing up promoting my cause and self-aggrandizement? Because Christ didn't do that. 
he says here, if any man will do his will, so my doctrine isn't mine, it's him that sent me, but if any man will do his will, he will know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaks of himself seeks his own glory, but he that seeks his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. So good doctrine never leads to self-promotion or self-interest. So I'm going to look at you, I'm going to listen to your doctrine, and is this promoting you? Is this promoting your people? Is this promoting your cause? Then it's selfish. Good doctrine promotes the cause of him that sent us, the cause of God. So I started by saying we're in danger, and at least on two levels. Level one is the deception of knowledge, that the more we know, the greater we think we are, because knowledge puffs up. But that puts us at risk of feeling good about ourselves, of doing what we think is right in our own eyes, because you know we're up and down the Bible searching for academic knowledge, but it's not converting us. It's not changing our behavior. It's not, as Murray said, educating the conscience to accuse us to transform our behavior. And then secondly, we're living in a time when good conduct, good behavior is under attack. People, I, 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 the, the swear, I see women in the world and, and they talk and, and foul language just comes out of their mouth. And I just, I'm, I'm just, every time I hear it, I'm just astonished. How did we get here? How did we get into a society where we're in a business meeting and a woman's there with men, where men and women are together and everybody's just using foul language? It's, un, it's, it's astonishing to me. So good conduct is under attack. And our society is losing its ability to reason and to debate. And it's being replaced by mob mentality and emotional outbursts. We can't be like this. We've got to see the danger. I just scratched the surface today. But I gave you good doctrine. And the doctrine I gave you isn't mine. This doctrine isn't mine. I got it from the apostles. And the apostles got it from Christ. And Christ got it from the Father. I want to leave you with good doctrine. And I'm going to quote directly from the Apostle Paul. And my hope is that as I leave you with this good doctrine, it will be the antidote to the zeitgeist of the age, to our descent into the time of the judges, when every man does what's right in his own eyes. Because nobody can be led, nobody can be instructed, nobody can be guided. We've overthrown the shackles of oppression. And we just do our own thing as we destroy our society. And then once we destroy our society, uh-oh, we didn't think far ahead. Because we really didn't reason out what happens when we overthrow this society. What will it be replaced with? Marx was very clear what would happen. The Frankfurt School were very, very clear. They, they said the ripe fruit will fall into our hands. They know what's happening, even if we don't. But I leave you with good doctrine, and it's not mine. I got it from the Apostle Paul, and he got it from Christ. Romans 13 and verse 1. Let every soul, not some, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. This does not sound like subversion. This does not sound like revolutionary talk. This does not sound like activism. This is good doctrine. Let every soul 
be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So we just accept whatever happens on that, on that realm. And we continue to navigate according to the word of God. Whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God. Have you gotten caught up in activism? Are you resisting the power? This is good doctrine. Whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you avoid damnation. I know what we do seems right in our own eyes, but God judges us according to Torah. Whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God. God allowed it to be this way. And they, shall, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil, again, behavior. Will you then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and you shall have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to you for good. But if you do that which is evil, be afraid. If you're tearing down statues, if you're vandalizing, if you're shooting people in the head, and the law comes after you, be afraid. For he bears not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that does evil. Therefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but, as Pastor Murray pointed out last week, but also for conscience' sake. For this cause pay you tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. It's a very different approach than the zeitgeist of this age. Let's not get caught up on it. This is good doctrine. Owe no man anything. Get out of debt. Get off welfare. Get out of debt. Owe no man anything. But this, this is one thing you do owe but to love one another. This is good doctrine. This is, he didn't get it. This, I got this from Paul. Paul got it from Christ. Make sure the one thing that you owe is to love one another. Don't, don't fall into hating your brothers, despising good teaching, despising good teachers, rejoicing when they're persecuted, rejoicing when they're put to death. Maybe you even putting them to death. Maybe you even getting caught up in debauchery. No. The only thing we owe is to love one another. For he that loves another has fulfilled the law. In a time of lawlessness, this is how we fulfill the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery. Notice these are behaviors. You shall not kill. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. We're, we're running out of time. This thing is unraveling fast. It is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. And this is how our joy remains and our joy will be full. We see the finish line. And whatever difficulty we have to go through, we go through. We're a soldier. We've been recruited. And our eyes are on the prize, as Deacon Jan said in his sermon. Keep your eyes on the prize. It's high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. 
the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off, cast off what? The works of darkness. Don't allow this indoctrination to get you caught up in works of darkness. Cast them off. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Sounds like Ephesians 6, where we put on the whole armor of God, but that's preceded with how to fulfill our different roles as Christians. That's the Christian fight. That's the fight of the Holy Spirit. That's the fight of being humble and being visionary. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting. Stop it and stop supporting it. Not in rioting and drunkenness, spiritual drunkenness. We don't, we don't even know ourselves anymore and we don't know our brothers and sisters. Not in, you know, we, we think those that are our brothers or sisters are carnal and those who have the Holy Spirit, we don't recognize them as our brothers and sisters anymore. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. All these things are possible for the spirit-filled Christian if they allow the spirit to dry up and the agape to dry up. Instead, put you on the Lord Jesus Christ, John 15. If we abide in him and his words abide in us, our joy will be full. But put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. Don't worry about this world. Don't, don't get caught up in social justice movements. That's making provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Brethren, that's good doctrine. Today I gave you, I, I scratched the surface for you. You search the scriptures to see if these things are so. But I've given you good doctrine. And it's not my doctrine. I got it from the apostles and they got it from Christ. Good doctrine leads to true belief, which believes, which results in good behavior. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Adrian, and thank you everyone for joining us today. It certainly was uh, a, a great message and something we're going to have to uh, spend some time looking back on. I did take note that you spent a lot of time, Pastor Adrian, in the books of uh, Timothy and Titus, the two letters to Timothy and Titus, and that's a very significant. Uh, certainly it goes to express Paul's concern at the end of his life and the uh, his his last words, so to speak, chronologically of all that he was very concerned about the church and what he wanted to make sure his future leaders uh, took on and uh, guided the guided the next generation with. So thank you very much for those comments and your message. Uh, we'll close with prayer here now and immediately after this closing prayer, we will uh, have our closing hymn, which will be on page 19, The Solid Rock. Again, those words will uh, flash on your screen. We certainly uh, thank you for taking time out of your Sabbath to worship with us today. It's been a pleasure being together. And we look forward to being together again next week. Um, and for the, I'll just uh, let's bow our heads now for the closing prayer and then the uh, final hymn, The Solid Rock. Father in heaven, we just pause before your glorious and, and, and magnificent throne here this afternoon on your beautiful Sabbath day. And we come before you, ask you to accept us into your presence. May the blood of your son cover our sins and so that we may come before your throne in humility and in faithfulness. And we just thank you so very much for preserving the words of your son and the words of your apostles for us to glean from, to look back on, to study. We thank you for the words that have been expressed to us tonight or to today. Thank you for speaking through your servant. And we just look towards you now to 
Help us to uh, open our minds and open our hearts to hear what you had to say to us today. May we always be about your business. May we continue to put on the mind of Jesus Christ. And may we use his words and that he passed on to the writers of, of your holy, holy book for us. We thank you for this. We ask you to be with all of your, your body, your ecclesia around this world as we continue to cope with the many issues of, of this time. And we just ask you to, to look down upon us and strengthen us, help us stir up the Holy Spirit within us that we may produce fruit, that we may put on uh, your character and that we may do what needs to be done so that we may be counted worthy through your mercy to be in your kingdom. We thank you for this. We ask you to be with those who have reached out on all of our prayer lists the many that, that we individually and collectively hold up to you. And we just ask you to strengthen them to, if it be your will, to heal their physical bodies. But uh, most holy God, keep us all uh, pointed towards your kingdom and kingdom focused and uh, help us to support and love each other through this. We thank you again for this Sabbath day, for all that it means, for all that uh, we learn uh, today. And just... Uh, Bring us together, bring us together again next week, wherever it is that we meet. Go with us this week. Protect our, protect us, protect our minds. Give us wisdom. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus Christ's most holy, righteous, and perfect name. Amen.